You're unbelievable. No. Go, go. I wouldn't do that. No. No. What not to do? You're unbelievable. Welcome back to What Not To Do. I am your host, Tristan Noel LeClaire. I am so happy that you are tuning back in and listening to me. Uh, I appreciate you. I love you. Like, share this podcast. Today, we are going to have on, or you're going to be listening to, I didn't record this today, but um, Sandy, stress and anxiety coach extraordinaire, who I found on the gram, and I've been putting some of her things into practice because I go through this love and hate relationship with meditation and when I'm doing it I love it when I'm not doing it it sounds like the worst thing in the world to me (laughs) and so I think it's kind of nice to also have some of these tricks and tips up your sleeve for when you are dealing with stress and anxiety and you can just recall like a little exercise that you learned from Sandy or, you know, listening to this podcast and kind of use it to your advantage. I have already used two of the ones that we discuss in this particular podcast. So I hope that you enjoy that. Um, Just a moment. You will be listening to that. I am kind of going through something in my life right now where I, I don't know. Do you ever just want to be invisible? Do you ever feel like too loud and too seen? This is something that I go through a lot. I think I've been on Instagram since 2011, Facebook before that. And I go through these waves with social media where I am okay with putting myself out there. And I realize like, oh, I'm, you know, this is part of my brand or I'm, I'm doing this for business. And I'm, you know, my goal always kind of from the inception of me being on social media aside from MySpace was always like to get clients and to put my name out there and to uh, build up notoriety in a sense. And now I'm in this place where I'm still kind of taking, I'm taking fitness and nutrition clients on um, a small batch and referrals and people that have worked with me before. Uh, because I'm in this interim where I'm about to like enter into this new life. And it kind of hit me like I have, as I enter into this new life, I have the ability and the option to completely start from scratch. Something about that is very appealing to me. Like I could delete all my podcasts. I could delete my social media. I could, or at least like make my social media private. I even um, fell into this pit of despair where I was learning about AI and deep fakes and what these fucking creepers are doing with children's images. And I was just like, maybe I don't want to put my kids images on the internet anymore. I'm already very, very careful about it. Like I I hope people don't think that I don't like love my kids. If I do post my kids, it's mostly in stories. And I try not to put them on the grid very much and if I do I try to do it so it's like me in the picture too because people are fucking creepers okay and yeah I don't want to give anyone the opportunity basically and now these creepers with their AI you don't want to know what they do when they take kids images and the things that they can do with the kids it's just it's so upsetting I can't and also it's their body their choice and they really don't understand what social media is yet 
And maybe I should hold off on that until they can. These are all questions that plague me. This is like a morality thing. And I'm no judgment if you're if your entire Instagram is your children, I totally get it. This is just something that I'm dealing with right now. And I'm wondering if it's the right, right thing for my children. And I'm very particular about this shit. I hate it when people's kids are in the hospital and then they're put under or, uh, you know, they're incapacitated, God forbid, and they're in a coma or whatever the case may be that, you know, and then they're taking pictures of them and putting them on Facebook. It's like, please pray for Sarah. She's, we woke up and we had to rush to the hospital and she's been unconscious. It's like, don't post this image of your 7, 8, 14, 17 year old daughter, son, incapacitated on the Facebook. They're a real person. Can you imagine waking up and there is pictures of you on the internet of you being completely out of it or in a coma? Like, what the fuck? I hate it. It drives me batshit crazy. Um... And if you do that, I am judging you. But maybe it's just because you didn't really put all the pieces together. You're just like, I want prayer for my child. Here's the image of them. But you could just ask for prayer and not put that image. Or you could put like a happy picture of your kid on there. One that's flattering. One that they knew was be- a picture that they knew was being taken. What a concept. You're like, what is Tristan on today? What is she on? <laughs> I told you I'm going through something. I wasn't lying. Okay. Um. I did make my Instagram private, which was a big first step for me. And I might take down the other pages. I might delete all my podcasts. Who knows? I just really like the idea of moving into this next life. And I just don't want to have any fear of somebody listening to these or seeing images of me. And then it prohibits me from moving forward. And I know that's coming from like a place of fear But also, maybe I had to get everything out and quote unquote share my truth and like to purge it. And now that I've purged it, like everybody that's listened, you who who have listened to these podcasts, you were the ones who were supposed to hear the message. And these podcasts don't have to live in infamy. They don't have to be alive forever because the people that were supposed to hear these messages have already heard them. And like my work in this capacity is done. That's kind of what I'm thinking. I know it's very highbrow, but that's kind of what I'm thinking. Uh, Like, I don't need everyone to know everything about me anymore. Maybe I've just crossed over. I, before I pull the plug, before I make this decision, I just, I'm going to do a lot of work just to make sure that this isn't coming from a place of fear because I suddenly feel more vulnerable than I originally intended to. Uh, And that it's coming from a place of courage because I'm not afraid to delete everything and start anew. I want to make sure I'm in definitely in one lane and not the other. Speaking of which, a lot of great feedback on the Shadow Work podcast that we did last time. My tip is, I know, I've been getting questions and I love them, but I've been giving, having to give one blanket answer and this is it. How do you know what shadow work needs to be done? Start looking at the patterns in your own life that give you the ick, the ones that you don't want to be identified with anymore. This could come down to a lot of things. Your relationship with money, how you work, how you deal with authority is a really big one. Uh, your boss, uh, an older sibling, any, any kind of authority. I had, I had gate attendants. We lived on a base, a housing base when I first had Wilder. And uh, you should have seen how these... these Every time I entered, there was no like automatic pass through, you know, where you could just like scan a thing and automatically go through. Every time you went through this gate, you had to show your ID 
and it was a pain in the ass. And then anytime you wanted someone to come, you couldn't call to the gate to put them on a list. You couldn't have a list. There was no list. You had to physically go all the way back to the gate. And it was a large community. And you had to stand there and wait. And then they, you know, they had to get out of their car. And then you had to show your ID. And they had to show their ID every time. And I know that these people were just doing their job. But <laughs> I could not handle it and I don't know where this thing with authority came from where I'm just like back the fuck off like I don't care if you're in uniform um but I I, that's something that I want to work on with myself why am I so triggered by like it's just somebody an officer like essentially doing their job okay why what is that um but look at things like how do you deal with something and you don't really like that about yourself then start asking why where does it come from and what in how where in my life have I have I have I demonstrated this behavior in my past men that's a big one or your relationship with other women needing validation from other women whatever start looking at it start asking yourself where why am I like that why do I need that validation why am I insecure with this why do I run from this what about this makes me feel so vulnerable start asking those questions and you'll start seeing patterns in your life. And sometimes you'll think that the root is is a situation that happened, which is exactly like the one you're currently facing that's bothering you. But really, that's just part of the pattern. And you'll notice, oh, I have, I've done this a time before that. And I did this a time before that. And then you can track it all the way back to somewhere in your young adolescence. Like usually it's like 12, 13 max. And then, or your childhood, something that happened in your childhood, something that you just kind of rolled over and you just accepted that was a part of your life because everyone just told you that you needed to accept it. It probably wasn't that big of a deal. Okay, we're moving on now. Time to pack that shit up. We're moving on. Never happened. <laughs> You're fine. You're physically okay. Everything's fine. Um, and so you just tucked it away and your inner child like never really got to deal with that. That's kind of how you do it. And it takes work. A lot of times what happens is you are experiencing some kind of conflict. You're out of alignment. You feel out of alignment, right? What does that mean? For me, it's like a stomach pain. That's where my anxiety is rooted, always in my upper part of my stomach. And I just, I'm out of alignment. I can feel the anxiety. Uh, you're going to start there and you're going to say, why am I feeling this way? And you're going to break it down. And then you're, you're going to sit with it. And the answers might not come to you right away. It might be just like a really surface answer, like I I have to go pick up my car and I have to pick up my kid at the same time and I'm not I'm worried my car's not gonna be done in time and da 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 da. And then what that really relates back to is like, well, you don't really have anyone to depend on because you don't feel like you can depend on your partner or your spouse to pick up the slack from this day where you have to pick up your kid and your car at the same time. Okay, what is that? You, so, so you just you kind of marinate in it and you let your brain kind of ruminate over it. And a lot of this is going to happen in your subconscious or while you're sleeping. And then boom, one day you'll, you'll wake up or you'll have an interaction with someone or a song will come on the radio and a little light bulb will come off and you'll be like, oh shit, that's where it comes from. So you don't really have to actively be working on it mentally the whole time. What is my shadow work? What is this deep thing that I'm working on? You don't have to do that. You have to set the intention and kind of let God source universe do the rest of it. As long as you ask the question, you're continuing to ask the question 
and you're not afraid to ask the real question and be really vulnerable with yourself first, you're going to get the answer. Just keep waiting. Just keep waiting for it. You'll get there. And I hope that you do. Because once you break through some of your big shit, that's when you can really come into alignment with your manifestation and everything that you're working towards. So many weight loss clients come to me and it's, you know, they might have a lot of weight to lose, but it's like, what made them turn to food in the first place or what made them prioritize working over their own physical body and their own health. Like it's not even about the weight coming off. It's like about the fucking shadow work that has to happen in order for the weight to come off and then stay off. Uh, so if that's something that you're dealing with, if you're dealing with feeling trapped outside of your own body, you have shadow work to do. You really need to figure out where that comes from. You know, what, what in your life happened that you lost control or you just checked out because it was too hard. I, I, have, a, I have a list of things that it could be, but I won't go into that. Anyways, I hope I answered some of your questions. Please enjoy this uh, interview with Sandy. She's a delight. Um, a lot of great tips, tricks for releasing that stress and anxiety. I want to uh, apologize beforehand because I kind of say some gruesome fears that I have. As you know, I hold nothing back. So I talk about my literal fears um, in this and things that kind of keep me up all night. So I want to apologize ahead of time because this might be slightly horrific. Okay. Enjoy. With that, enjoy. Deuces. Sandy Wozniacki is a stress coach and conscious parenting mama helping stressed out parents and leaders find their inner calm so they can show up as the best version of themselves from the boardroom to the family room and finally learn how to relax. Welcome to the podcast, Sandy. I'm so happy to have you. Thanks for having me, Tristan. So I just jumped on Instagram because I was like, okay, there's like, you give such good content and I'm aware that you are on other platforms with large followings, but Instagram's how I found you gravitated towards you. Um, because I saw stress and anxiety and I was like, I too have stress and anxiety. <laughs> maybe, maybe I could get some tips here. And I jumped on to like, kind of just go like through some of your content so I could ask like relative questions and kind of like pinpoint what I wanted to discuss with you today. And then I got sidetracked by this story of this boy. He's like a six-year-old boy named Bridger. Have you seen this story where his little sister, who's like three or four, was a dog was coming towards her to attack her. And he put himself between himself between his sister and the dog and got like massively wounded like in the face and like the dog attacked him oh, instead no. and then he later he later said like when he was asked about it later at you know the hospital he was like I figured if somebody had to die it should be me oh my gosh and so you know now he has all these lovely photos of him like holding his sister and he saved his sister but the cool thing is is the his aunt um after the attack happened he she tagged all these avengers because because she was like you know just wanted you guys to know you have a new hero in your midst you know like can, <laughs> can anybody reach out to this kid so all these like avengers and celebrities reached out to this kid and totally congratulated him and just you know this sending back the love and the energy that this little and this cur you know this celebrating this courage of this little boy so then i'm like crying and realizing oh shit i gotta <laughs> i gotta send this link to this woman in like two seconds 
Um, sometimes that's how I regulate myself by watching uh, human interest stories on Instagram. Is that okay? <laughs> well, I think it's, you know, it's a funny world that we live in where we consume content um, for entertainment purposes about like, I mean, how many law and orders are there? <laughs> I know. <laughs> right. And, and there's all of these stories and the, the stories like that, they get such traction that people want to feel connected to their emotions. And one of the things like those stories right there, I'm Niagara Falls. Like I, I, those, those make me cry every time. But what I'll tell you is when I was suffering from anxiety for a long time, tears did not come easily for me. Like I didn't feel as connected to my emotional self. And I think it was just a, a protection strategy because I felt like it would be too scary to go down too deep. Um, and now like on the other side of it, I cry at the drop of a hat and I think it's a beautiful thing to be able to so much more easily be moved by stories like that and to have an emotional experience like that. And I think, um, I don't know, that's kind of like the, the power of, of how connected we are in the world that we can get access to, to stories like that. And yeah, I mean, feel that sense of hope and pride and yeah. that you don't even know. Yeah, I mean, I feel it. I I feel it every opportunity that I get. Like, literally, my Instagram feed is mostly baby animals and like <laughs> kids and like national parks. That's what I always say. I also like I love a good food, like a good food Instagram. You know. Um, yeah. So you know, if I can find something that actually helped me grow as a person, such as your account, then I I do try to follow and like actually apply. For me. You're giving all these great techniques, but it's so hard for me to, I know, and I definitely want you to get like some of your best of, you know, what you think people could take away with and actually use today. But I, I want to know when does it happen to where, you know, how often do you have to put something in practice for you to utilize kind of like a releasing exercise, something to help you release or take you down before you kind of hit that peak of, of anxiety? Like, how do you put that into practice so that it becomes like second nature? Because I kind of feel like it needs to be preventative rather than, oh my God, I'm feeling anxiety right now. So right now is when I'm going to utilize one of these things that I've used from Sandy. Yeah. Well, that's what I, um, that's actually something that I posted the other day about mm -hmm. was, I think most of us, when you think about, um, stress relief or help with anxiety, we think of it as reactionary tools. Okay, I'm already stressed. I got to take some deep breaths, splash some cold water on my face, maybe go for a walk or lay down and lay, you know, raise my legs up in the air. Those are all reactionary tools of I'm the train's already left the station and I need to come back down to get back into my zone of control. But you, you're, you're totally right. The preventative stuff is what's the most impactful. And so like, for example, in this post that I mentioned the other day, as mm -hmm. I break it down into three different categories, one is the reactive stuff. And you have to have the right reactive tools because there's never going to be no stress in life. And you want to be able to get back down into in control as opposed to just being, you know, in fight or flight mode, which is more an autopilot mode. Um, but I look at preventative work in a couple of different categories. One is time dedicated to um, 
to, you know, say regulating your nervous system or towards healing. So those would be dedicated time blocks. Like, okay, I'm going to meditate for a half an hour. I'm going to do an hour long yoga class. I'm going to go to a therapy session. Um, I'm going to get Reiki. Um, you know, I, you know, every day at noon, I'm going to go for a walk. See, those are like dedicated time blocks. And the more of those you do, the more, you know, you're going to build up, you know, that resilience and working on, um, you know, nervous system regulation, all that kind of stuff. But then there's proactive work that doesn't take any extra time that people don't think about quite as much because we're, we are such a go, go, go society that we just do one thing and, and just roll it right into another. And even if we go from one thing and transition that transition time, we're probably scrolling on Instagram and um, we're just always on. And thinking about this proactive work that doesn't actually take any extra time in your day, these are little micro moments of recalibration. So like with working with my clients, one of the things, because, uh, you know, all my clients are, they're busy. We're all so busy. Um, so I'm like, you know, how many times do you go pee a day? This is my, <laughs> yeah. this is one of it's my like, favorite things that you say. I love that you're, you're giving people permission to use pee time for relaxation. Like, because right. we're doing like how many anyways. You either take your phone into the bathroom, because mm-hmm. I mean, seriously, it takes like, 30 seconds to two minutes tops you're in the bathroom um if you're spending longer in there you know that's that's something else to look at (laughs) but really that's like 30 seconds to two minutes and um we don't need to be scrolling on the phone we don't need to be problem solving we don't need to be having an argument with you know our partner in you know in our mind through that you know 30 seconds to two minutes but you can turn something like that into a little bit of a mindfulness practice or a little even mini meditation practice. So um, the walk to the bathroom can be a mindful walk, right? I'm not solving problems right now. I'm hitting the pause button and I'm just going to slowly walk to the bathroom and feel my foot every time it hits onto the ground. Um, And as you pee, I always think of it as this is a grounding practice and stuff is coming out of you and it is going down. You already have this downward energy. So what a great time to just take two slow breaths, hitting the reset button, just recalibrating that nervous system, washing your hands slowly and mindfully and feeling the temperature of the water and the slickness of the soap. And you didn't add any extra time to your day, but what you did was you got a chance to hit the reset button. Because what happens when we're go, 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 is that stress just builds and builds and builds in our nervous system. What happens when you get home from work at the end of the day? Like you're so exhausted and you're like, you need that time. But especially if you have, you know, families at home and kids and you you do the stuff with the kids and then you got the dinner and then you got the bedtime. And it's like, and then we don't relax until after the kids are in bed. And then what do we do? We're watching TV. We didn't actually even take a moment to just breathe, to just be and to just reset. So I think those three different categories um, are so impactful towards breaking these patterns of creating stress. But the proactive stuff is the stuff that's going to help actually break the cycle because the reactive stuff is going to help you come back down, but that didn't actually get to the root of what, what triggered you in the first place. Yeah. And I mean, especially when you're, it's like, you know, I'm sure you can relate to what I'm about to say. I want to be a good mom. 
I want to be like a non-yelly mom. I want to be a mom that, <laughs> you know, it's, it's for some reason when it's bedtime, my kids both start going completely like batshit crazy. Like, like uh-huh. they, you know, it's, it's, we have a 15 minutes till I got to get them in bed. And suddenly now is the time where it's WWE in the living room and they're literally climbing the walls because they just learned yes. how to climb the wall in the hall. And like, that's a thing now. And I'm like, just trying to keep my shit together, you know? And it's like, <laughs> I really don't want to be yelly mom. I really don't want to let it get to that place. And, you know, because I've been more conscious of it, I've been able to like take, take a breath in the moment and calm myself down. And I will turn to my seven-year-old and my three-year-old. And last night I did this and I said, listen, guys, mommy really doesn't want to yell tonight. I really don't want to get angry, but now it's the sixth time that I'm asking you to come into the bathroom to brush your teeth. And I can feel myself getting kind of upset so can, can we please just listen and have a nice evening? And they actually worked out for me. Not saying it'll be that way every time, but it worked out for me because my seven-year-old kind of like took the reins, you know, and was like, no, I'm going to, mm-hmm. I'm deciding to listen to mommy. And I was like, thank you. But sometimes I don't, I, I don't have my shit together and I literally will yell, obviously. And then I'm trying to like reel myself in and it's like too late. Like it train's already left the station. I'm already upset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, to that, I would say, like, what, what is it that you are thinking or believing or expecting that starts getting you upset to begin with in that bedtime scenario? It's probably like, like last night I had a podcast to record. So last night it was like time was of the essence. Mm-hmm. And so I was like erasing against this clock, you know? Yeah. And in general, I think, I hope this doesn't sound terrible. But I don't know. My listeners have heard me say everything, so it's okay. But I'm, like, very excited for my kids to go to bed. Yeah. I'm very excited. It's a great time. Finally close the door and just, like, go have parent snacks and, like, watch a TV show. (laughs) Like, that's what I want to do. No, that's such a relatable feeling because – you know, you're on and you're in charge and it's as much as we love our kids and we want them and it is work, (laughs) right? It's, it's it's a lot of work and it's a lot of, um, it's a lot on our nervous systems. So the thing with, I think it's important to look at what our expectations are, um, for how our kids should behave and how things should go. I think, um, especially my clients with young kids, you know, cause I have a, I have a four-year-old. So I, I feel you on those nighttime, um, we'll just call them zoomy zooms yes. uh, that they get, they all get it. It's, it's very developmentally appropriate. Like, kids, they still have energy in their nervous system. Their body knows they're going, that sleep is coming. So they want to burn all of that off. So, you know, I recognize for example, my husband worked longer hours than I do. So he has a lower capacity for that in the evening time. I have more, more capacity for it. So I usually take care of the, the crazy time at night because he, he's tired. He wants it to stop. (laughs) He wants him to just, okay, just be quiet and be calm. Um, that's not going to happen by asking a four-year-old to be quiet and be calm, Mm -mm. but recognizing that one, it's to be expected 
right? If you're expecting calm and quiet at 7.30 at night from a little kid, then you're already setting yourself up for failure because they they have wiggle worms they have to get out. So what I do, because I know that I have more more capacity at that time of day, I take on, you know, either wrestling with him or one of the things we started doing, I have like a 10 or 15 pound like medicine ball, I have him lie on the floor and I'll roll it up and down his body. Um, we'll, you know, do pillow fight type things, but, but having the expectation that we've got to burn this off before bed and having fun with it helps not get to that anger point because of the overstimulation. I really like that because I have been so focused on, you know, I read like 97 parenting books when I first became a mom Mm -hmm. and I was so focused on not only like having a structure, but the time leading up to nap time or bedtime being identical, first of all, second of all, having a, a kind of a lengthy period of wind down time. So it's never really even occurred to me to shift it and be like, no, let's try to expel all this energy before we get them out instead of winding down. Yeah. And it's a good opportunity for connection too, especially when they're doing the crazy stuff and you're like, I just don't, I don't want this right now. What I want is calm and quiet. What I want is calm and quiet too. The older we get, the more calm and quiet we want. Um, But uh, approaching that, um, from a point of, you know, stop doing that. You, you get this disconnection between you and your kids. Like, I don't like what you're doing. I want you to stop doing it. I want you to do something different as opposed to meeting them where they're at. You're like, Oh, looks like you got a lot of energy. You got a lot of wiggle worms. What's something fun that we can do together to get this out? You know, for me, like it, it's easier when they're younger. Cause you can put on like, um, Oh, I wish I could remember the full name is DJ something, you know, for example, this, uh, it's a kid YouTube show where he he makes kids songs sound like club music. So okay. it's not so obnoxious for the parents, but he does dance moves too. So I'll put that on, you know, so that's just another example. I'll put that on so he can have you ever done to it. Or, have you ever done the floor is lava with Bluey? We'll do floor is lava. I love the floor is lava. I love Bluey. I'm a sucker for Bluey. I'm like, or Blue- make an obstacle course. We're a Bluey family. Like I'll do anything Bluey yeah. does. Yeah. <laughs> I always, I always judge like if you'd get along with another parent of how they feel about Bluey. Totally. <laughs> well, I always you like, like Bluey. Okay, we can have be, you we're seen, friends. But yeah. have you seen that meme that's like, why do you feel like you're failing every day as a parent, and then it's a picture of the Bluey family? <laughs> I love that the parents fail though. They do on that. Show. Yeah, but they, they I love that they make mistakes, and you know they, they do. But it's like they're they still literally the best parents I've ever seen in my life. Like. <laughs> And you know what it is? They are authoritarian parents. They're authoritative. Yes. Um, and so like, cause I, I've, um, have a certification as a, a conscious parenting coach too, which, cause I realized working with adults, I was helping adults learn how to reparent themselves and I'm a parent. So I'm like, why don't I bring this connection? So like the authoritative parent, it's the authoritarian is power over. I'm the authority figure. I have power over you and you must do as I say, usually do as I say, not as I do, mm-hmm. or because I said so, or I don't like this behavior, jump to punishment. Um, whereas authoritative is more, it's more of a, a leadership style. It's a power with, as opposed to over or under. 
Yes. And a lot of people confuse it with permissive parenting, which permissive parenting is power under, almost like the child has more of the power because the parent wants to avoid conflict. Um, but the power with, if I realize, like, if I just think about this relationship as power with, we are, yes, I'm in charge. You know, that's, I mean, we're not going to ignore the fact that, you know, it's bedtime and <laughs> I'm in charge. I'm not letting you stay up until midnight. Um, but working with how they're feeling, what's going on with them. You don't want to go to bed yet? Okay, well, what's, is it that you're just not tired? Or is it that you're having so much fun? Are you nervous about something? Um, and figuring out what's driving the behavior is the key to finding the answer to the problem, not just focusing on the behavior itself. Yeah. And I that's try, something we do with, our, with ourselves too. I try to do authoritative parenting, obviously. It's like, I have to break like the cycle, you know? Oh yeah. <laughs> because when I wasn't raised that way and I did not like it and I didn't like like not feeling seen. So that's something that I've worked through my adulthood is like, mm. look at me, see me who I really, really am. And like what my needs are, and what my wants are. And so, because I don't want my children feeling that way, I do practice it, but you know, I'm human <laughs> and sometimes I don't have it in me sometimes. And sometimes I do, yeah. I do default to just do it because I said, like, I don't want to, I don't want to have this conversation. <laughs> yeah it's tough to not do the because I said so yeah right and and that's I think our own like one it's our own programming that's sort of how we were raised like because I said so and I'm the authority figure um it does take you do need to have a little bit more capacity in the moment to be able to come up with the answer so that's that's our own work to do right it's like you know the proactive work to make sure that especially by the end of the day that our cup isn't completely empty and probably when you had that conversation of like, I don't want to yell. Your cup probably had a little bit more in it than other days. And you're able to articulate, you connected with them. Like, this is how I'm feeling as opposed to stop doing that or start doing this. <laughs> this is how I'm feeling. And you're just able to be honest with that. And it sounds like it, it landed. And I assume you probably didn't get much of that growing up. Oh, no. I, uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of like one of those weird people. I think I, I blocked out a lot of my childhood. Yeah. And it doesn't really like a lot of it. The interactions with my parents, like they don't really kind of come into play or like I don't really think about them until I'm in a situation with my own child. And then I'll be like, oh, yeah, like th this isn't how it was handled with me. Like our this has how it was handled with me. And like, I want to do it differently. You know, it's like an opportunity to be a better parent based on how fucked up you are, maybe. But <laughs> but it, it seems to work for me because if I can catch myself in the moment, you know, and I, by now I've done enough work on myself to be able to like pause, like take a breath mm -hmm. and try to like figure it out. Um, but I that one day I remember that one day where like I just didn't have it in me anymore it was because uh which happens frequently it's not like that one day 90 days ago <laughs> no this happens frequently but I remember specifically I had thought about this like um moment that I wanted to have with my kids like I wanted to bake, bake it I was just my birthday and um 
they want they weren't able to celebrate with me because I went somewhere else for that specific day. And so I was like, let's bake this fun Fetty cake together and then let's do this together. And like I was like trying to kind of have special time with them because they didn't have my actual birthday with me. And mm-hmm. it was just a shit show from the beginning <laughs> because it was like, I want to stir. No, I want to stir. Not fair. She got to do this. And why can't we do this? And why isn't this chocolate? Like, I mean, like you name it, like from the very beginning. So this beautiful moment, you know, that I was like trying to create <laughs> with my kids, which is shit on from the get from the jump. And so I was just like so frustrated that it wasn't it wasn't like happening the way that I wanted it to. And it was yeah. salvageable. Expectations. Expectations will ruin a lot of birthday parties. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but circling back to anxiety is so for me, like I didn't really know I was such an anxious person until I had a baby because I could like keep it in a container. You know, and my way that I kind of cope was just having uh, coping with my anxiety was um, having a very tight lid on my schedule or my body and like keeping everything in order like that to me, almost like an not an OCD thing, but kind of, you know, like making sure that I had all my ducks in a row and like that made me feel protected. And then that kind of helped me with anxiety and then and lifting weights. Like I lift weights a ton. I've always been a weightlifter. And since I started weightlifting, like my anxiety is way, 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 way better than it ever was, but I need to do it. Like it's something that definitely keeps my mental health in check and my anxiety in order. Then I had a baby and I had, I suffered from, um, now it's just postpartum back in the day. It was like, you know, people just thought you got sad and now everybody realizes like, no, there's several different kinds of postpartum and the postpartum Mm -hmm. that I had was anxiety and like where I would have thought monkeys. And so I became like hypervigilant. I didn't sleep. Like I had to go to the hospital because I couldn't sleep. And, um, and then it was through that, that I realized, like I went to my you know, my primary care provider at the time or my OB at the time. And I was just like tell, telling her, like, I'm in psychosis right now. Like something's wrong with me and I need help. And like, I'm too worried about this and I shouldn't be this worried. And so he's proceeded down like the, you know, medicinal path of like, what is the right medicine for you? And it was then that I learned that they don't actually really make anything specifically for anxiety. Like they'll make antidepressants that might help a little bit better with anxiety, but nothing is specifically for anxiety. And like, you can't cure anxiety with a pill. Um, so I was medicated for a short time, but I didn't want that to be my life if I could manage without it. And I needed to like figure out some other tools. And I tried like meditation and things like that. And and meditation does seem to work. And I know that you're, a, you know, you're an advocate for meditation, correct? Mm-hmm. But my problem is like, I always feel like even with meditation, I'm, I'm, I have like an end goal. Like I have something yeah. I'm trying to accomplish during the meditation, as opposed to like just being present and realizing that the, uh, ob- the objective is to just like be still and not have to get anything accomplished in that time I think maybe you don't understand how many things are actually being accomplished during the meditation and maybe that understanding could be okay talk to me I love it for you because well because I mean just the way you describe like you're it sounds like you're the type of person that you had your anxiety under control because you you did lots of stuff to 
be in control in order to have certainty? Because it sounds like uncertainty and a lack of control was a probably a trigger for you and then mm-hmm. you have a kid and you realize how much how little control yes <laughs> yes <laughs> right um and so it, and especially the way you described your relationship with meditation it sounds like you're also the type of person that thinks about being productive all the time and rest probably feels guilty and unproductive to you is that a stretch rest needs to be like, I have to earn it. Like every day (laughs) I like, it's like 10, 10 PM. And I'm like, no, now I've earned it. Now I can sit here and I can eat my Gordettos and, and like, maybe, (laughs) maybe like smoke some pot and like, I've earned this hour of Fargo or like whatever, but like, I have to feel like (laughs) I get there, you know? Yeah. It it doesn't look productive. Just like sleep. Sleep doesn't look productive. (laughs) You're just laying there and doing a whole lot of nothing. But so much is happening under the surface while you're sleeping. You've got, you know, long and short term memory being being stored. You've got, um, you know, bodily processes happening, you know, uh, systems being flushed out, repairs happen. There's like a lot of stuff happening while you're sleeping. And even when you're resting, there's a lot of stuff happening. Um, But meditation, I'm the type of person who too, also, I just, you know, I had the type of dad who never sat down ever in his entire life. He was mm-hmm. always doing, always accomplishing. Always, and, you know, he instilled that in me and to the point where like as an adult, if I'm like sitting there watching TV in the middle of the day and somebody comes in, I got to jump up and make it look like I'm busy and I'm doing something because I can't be sitting here watching TV in the middle of the day. That's not allowed. Um, so when I talk about meditation, I, I, I do it through that lens. Um, so meditation is, think of it as brain training or even nervous system training. Um, and there's a lot that's being accomplished. So when we meditate, like the, I think the most common meditation people think of is like a focused attention meditation. I'm focusing in on my breath or a sound or a sensation. And a lot of people say, I can't meditate because, you know, my, my mind wanders too much, right? You know, my, my brain is too busy. And it's like saying I'm too dirty to take a bath. It's like, that's why you do it. <laughs> and, and expectations, you know, we already talked about that a couple of times. A lot of people expect that their mind should go quiet. And that's when they're quote unquote doing meditation right. Or they should be able to work up to a point where, you know, they can completely turn their brain off. And that's, that's not what brains do. Brains think that's their job. Your eyes see, your ears hear, and your brain thinks. What you're doing when you're meditating is I break it down into three different three different main points. The first is um, building up that mindful self-awareness, which is you're going to notice. So let's say you're focusing on your breath in this meditation. Your mind is going to wander. That first step is you have to notice it. Because how often when you're meditating, you realize, oh, crap, I've been thinking about, you know, writing this email in my mind for God knows how long, maybe the last five Mm -hmm. minutes. Like Mm -hmm. You catch it when you catch it. You notice, not as soon as you start thinking about something else, but usually after you've been thinking about it for a while. So that's that mindful self-awareness, that very first skill set that's being worked on, right? So so that would translate into every day, like noticing, okay, I'm starting to get worked up or noticing, ooh, that's a, something that's typically a trigger for me. Or, you know, noticing your emotional reactions to think, right? So that's the skill set that you're practicing just in that first facet of noticing, okay, my mind has wandered. The next step is this almost this non judgmental, maybe even self compassionate 
acknowledgement of not, oh my God, I can't believe I did it. Like, why can't I just focus, right? Not, not that judgment, but okay, I'm, you know, imagining an argument in my mind. That's what's happening right now. Just as a matter of fact, that's okay. Um, but acknowledge it, sort of labeling it. Okay, this is a, I'm, I'm feeling the emotion of anger or I'm planning for tomorrow or just, just put a label on it. Um, and that practice of non-judgment translates very well as well too. When, you know, oh yeah, I yell at my kids again because we're all going to yell at our kids mm-hmm. <laughs> because we're human and kids are hella stressful. Um, but to not beat yourself up over it, say, okay, this is what happened. All right. And then we're going to go into the next step, which is the redirection, which is now I'm going to choose to let go of this thought pattern that I started to follow. And with intention, I'm going to bring my focus back to my breath. Now that's a really important skill set. That's the skill set of letting go and choosing how you're going to show up, choosing what you want to think about. Because your mind wandering, that wasn't a choice. That was an autopilot. But coming back to your breath, that was a choice. That's you getting back behind the driver's seat. And the more you do that, that letting go and coming back, it's like, you know, yeah, you were a weightlifter. That's like, it's like lifting weights at the gym. Every time you do that, you build the strength of mind to be able to focus your attention on what you want to focus it on, as opposed to being on autopilot. And when you think about the patterns that were developed, you know, maybe from childhood um, that turn into like those automatic reactions as an adult, maybe even towards your kids, practicing this gives you that strength to be able to step outside it and break those cycles. Like, you know what? I'm going to choose to look at this from a different perspective. Yes. I want to show up how I want to show up. I think, so I had a previous podcast that was like a spirituality podcast. And so I explained how to meditate in that podcast, but I really do think how, because I just wanted to give people freedom to not have so much pressure on themselves to like do it correctly. And like, it's really it's really not that hard. Sometimes it just takes being still and then going through these steps in your head that you just explained so articulately. Um, but it's funny because the steps that you're just saying, I think it's important to note that like all of that could literally happen in 30 seconds. Like oh, that oh, whole, yeah. that just whole ladder. Just the blink of an eye it can, yeah. Yes, and repeatedly. Like it's like repeat, you're going to repeat that process 97 times during the course of the meditation. Because- and, and that meditation session where it's just constant, people will think that was a terrible session. Mm-hmm. No, that was the most impactful session. The easy ones... Mm, those are those are a lovely gift, a lovely byproduct. But the ones that are a challenge, that means you're doing the work. <laughs> I love that. And, and and the more challenging it is, the more the more there's an opportunity for you to get frustrated. Now, another thing that you learn in meditation is don't run away from or try to suppress those emotions that come up because the more you practice meditation, the more the deeper you get. Like I just kind of described surface level tactically what you're doing but what you're also learning too especially that second step of that acknowledgement that non-judgmental self-compassionate acknowledgement could be 
I'm feeling really frustrated in this meditation session right now. And being able to allow that frustration to be there without trying to change it or without judging it, just say, okay, this is what frustration feels like. Maybe even looking at where you feel it in your body. Is it like a tension in your chest? Are you feeling a rigidity in, in you know, in your body? You're holding yourself a different way or you did it change your breathing pattern and just relax into it and say, I give you permission to be here and just watch become the watcher to see how does that different relationship with this uncomfortable emotion change the uncomfortable emotion. That's how you, it, it, you sort of train yourself to be able to process uncomfortable emotions or even uncomfortable physical sensations. Cause sometimes, you know, you, your hips get uncomfortable while sitting there or, you know, you get that itchy nose. Like if you get an itchy nose while meditating, that's a really good opportunity to practice. Do I have to immediately automatically reach up to my nose and scratch it? Or can I just relax into that sensation and sort of watch it for a moment? It builds up that tolerance to discomfort. Interesting. I kind of feel like meditation is always sold as like, um, you know, you're, it, it, you're to be present to be still but it really kind of sounds like when you explain it that it's to really be your most authentic self like whatever's presented to you in that moment that you're in the meditation it's like what am I feeling right now and really identifying what that feeling is whether it be emotional or physical so and in doing so you reach your stillness yeah and I think it's it's letting go of all of the commentary about it and letting go of any of the resistance. I think the more you practice that stillness and just being like being with the discomfort, you realize how nuanced it is and how much we resist or want to avoid those things that are uncomfortable. And that's what's one of the things with anxiety is one anxiety doesn't feel very comfortable. And so one of the ways to get through anxiety is to learn how to sit there and to feel anxious without trying to change it, without trying to fight it, and without judging it. Just, okay, this is what I'm feeling in my body. Maybe even describe how you're feeling it in your body. And, and learning how to communicate with yourself in a really loving way to say, this is just a moment in time. And I trust that I can come through this. And, um, you know, I'm... I. I know I can figure this out or I know I can reach out to help like, like learning to communicate yourself with yourself in a, in a really loving way is part of part of the process too. But um, just being able to allow yourself to be uncomfortable without the fear. So that's our natural inclination is this is uncomfortable. I want to pull away from it. Yeah. And I also like for me, whenever I'm feeling very anxious, it's like a almost it's in the, my upper stomach. Like that's where I carry it. Mm. It's like a physical, like it's, it's icky. It's very, very icky. And it wasn't until maybe within the last two years that I would be feeling that. And I would be like, Oh, I'm, I'm out of alignment right now. Like that is mm. my tell that I'm out of alignment and why am I out of alignment? And then forcing myself to like ask those questions of myself so that I can like work it back. And it almost always, no matter what the situation is, it almost always comes back to control. That's something I mm. recently learned. It's like all, it's almost always about control for me because I'm not in control of the situation. I'm not getting the outcome that I wanted or desired or that attempted to design, you know? 
And like, that's the root of like so much of my anxiety, which is, so now yeah, I've, that, I've, I've hit that. Now I got to get to the next step. Yeah. Well, that makes sense that you're feeling that in your upper stomach, that solar plexus area. That's mm-hmm. like that, that third chakra all about um, our confidence that I can do right. The uh, feeling. Um, and if you're feeling it in the up, that's where I felt it the most too. Like that area of my body, like just below my sternum yes upper belly area was so uncomfortable and so sensitive that like even the cat reaching her paw out and putting it on that part of my stomach be like no no like any any partner I was with like they reach over and rest the hand there's no 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 you you can't touch that that's too sensitive yes and it's not anymore but it was like that for years and years and years and that's just where you can either think of it in an energetic sense, like thinking through the chakras and that's where the third chakra is, or you can even think of it as just physically where we hold tension when we feel certain things. So I, like I had mentioned that trust, like you're grasping for that control because that's that certainty is your comfort zone. And it sounds to me like a little, like a lack of trust in yourself or a lack of trust in uh, the universe for how things are going to pan out or trust that you're going to be able to figure it out or belief in yourself that you can do um, are, would be interesting things to, to lean into when you're feeling that sensation in your belly. Yes. I, I do. I do re- try to remind myself that I, I'm, this is, a, this is veering off into another <laughs> lane here, but it always does. <laughs> but like, like I am a spiritual person and I believe that I'm co-creating my reality. Um, and so at that time, I'm always trying to remind myself that like, I don't need to be completely in control of the situation because like I'm in on this with the universe or I'm in on this with mm. source. And like, I can trust God source universe that even though this might not, might not go the way that I had envisioned it to go or wanted to go, it's mm-hmm. going to go the right way. It's going to go the correct way. It's going to go the way that it needs to go. So I need to release and trust. And like, I'll, I'll, I, you know, I have these talks with myself all the time, (laughs) but, but yeah, it does kind of come back to a more of a trusting that it's going to work out and that it's going to be okay. And reminding myself of that and like re trying to reprogram myself of the distrust I have of that happening. Yeah. Um, You talk about you, like your tagline is, Zen, Zen badass from the boardroom to the family room. So I was curious, like, were you in like a big corporate gig before? And like, or do you just happen to work a lot with with people in business that kind of are trying to segue, you know, and try to try to handle themselves better at work? Or like, what, where does that come from? Um, a little both. I had a 15 plus year, uh, you know, m- corporate marketing career. Um, and, but, you know, much through, through my anxiety <laughs> and, um, it, you know, it felt crippling at times. It was exhausting. And I, I wish I had all of the tools that I have now back then it would have saved me so much grief, but, um, the people who come to me wanting to deal with their stress, it started out with 
people wanting to work through their stress when it comes to work because they wanted to either further their careers or, um, you know, they didn't want to be, you know, afraid of confrontation so that they can, um, you know, do their job better. So it kind of started there. Um, but, you know, and I started this, this work probably six, seven years ago. And, you know, I have a four-year-old son, so I've had a child since I started. And I don't know if I just started attracting more parents Mm -hmm. because of that, but the people who come to me now, not that I only work with parents. I have some people who aren't parents, but those are people who are like, I want to learn how to reparent myself (laughs) because I didn't get to learn all this stuff as a kid. Um, but more so I'm seeing more and more people who want to see improvements in their stress and how they're reacting to things so that they can improve their relationships at home. They want to be the parent that, you know, that, that calm and loving parent that they know they can be, if they could just not feel so stressed and feel so, you know, trapped or angry or however they feel right when they're in that, you know, fight or flight defense mode. Um, So they can be the parent they want to be. So they can be, you know, the partner that they want to be, but mostly because people just want to feel peace. (laughs) Yeah. So it's, you know, whether it's, you know, something that you want for work or for your home life and your family life, um, this is work that affects everything. But, you know, it's most people come to me like, you know, what? I just I just want to relax. I just want to feel peaceful. And what is like what is your number one tip when you hear that? <laughs> From somebody, what do you tell them? Um, but somebody who's like, I just want to relax. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, that's a good question. I don't think there's like a first number one tip to go to. But, you know, I would I would dig into. All right. Well, what's preventing that? What's on your, what are the stories that you're telling yourself? Do you need to constantly be productive? Are you, you know, do you feel like you're not good enough? Are, are you feeling afraid? What are you feeling afraid of? So we might dig into what's preventing relaxation. And, and more often than not, people will, will say, yes, there's fears and belief structures um, that drive the anxious thinking. But I think one of the most common things is people are like, I don't know how to turn my brain off. I don't know how to slow down the chatter. I don't know how to just let go and take a breath and just be without thinking about everything that could go wrong or everything that I have to do. And so kind of going back to that brain training with the meditation, we would look at not every one of my clients wants to meditate. They don't have to. So that's why um, we talk about meditation in action. So, you know, things like mindfulness practices and translating, well, here's how meditation works and here's how you learn what you're learning from it. Um, the different ways that we can incorporate that so that we can basically create some new neural pathways, <laughs> help you um, break some of those old patterns and learn how to, how do I just let go? Sometimes it's someone needing to learn how to trust. Oh, okay. It's safe for me to not think about work after 7 p.m. at night. So I was just right? going to say, not- I was like, I hope she says that because I just watched your reel on it and I... I have a brain that just goes when I'm trying to go to sleep sometimes. Like I have to be so tired, so tired to go to sleep. And ironically, sleeping is 
literally my favorite thing. It's my favorite thing to do. It's the best. I love my bed. I can, I, if, when I can, I can sleep for like 10 hours straight. I straight hibernate. Like I love to sleep, but for some reason that transition sometimes of like turning my brain off. And I remember I just watched this reel and you had some really great tips in there, but the one that stood out and please go over the other ones if you can, but, um, was just like, I am not going to make any decisions uh, after 7 or 8 p.m. Or like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna solve any problems after 7 or 8 p.m. And I'm like, that's actually kind of fucking genius. Because like, if you tell yourself like, nope, time's over, I've clocked out, then it then mm-hmm. it, your brain, you, you're not giving yourself your, your brain permission to just kind of spiral and go over all these scenarios. I mean, my main problem, though, is like, this is going to be get real dark real fast, Sandy. But <laughs> I, I think about like bad people coming into my house and yeah. um, like getting to my kids or hurting my kids or something. And so I will spiral and I will think about all the scenarios and all the ways in which I could somehow get to my kids in the back bedroom and get them down the stairs or like, like, how will I, you know, do I like, what will I do to get the killer before the killer gets us? Or how could I distract the killer to kill me and get the kids safe? Like, this is where my brain goes. It's like these weird, weird death scenarios. And in that instance, telling myself just to not think about it until the next day doesn't work for me because I'm thinking if I think this out methodically and I think it out in all these other different directions, then I'll be prepared and that will make me feel safe. Yeah. But does it actually make you feel safe? No. Makes me feel worse. So so that's like, so that first tip that you mentioned is the like time blocking, like setting a, a boundary on, look, there's no problem solving. There's no planning. I don't need to think through the stuff after I don't know, 10 o'clock at night, whatever time it is, like between 10 o'clock at night and seven o'clock in the morning, no deep questions, no problem solving. I'm not writing emails. I'm not checking my email, like any of that kind of stuff. Um, And then you've got something like very fear-based, like you just described. And I would go to the other tip that I mentioned in that reel, which is differentiate between worrying and problem solving. Because what you're doing there is worrying and worrying gives us this false sense of control like if this stays top of mind and I continue to think about every possible scenario then I'll feel safe but you don't you're like you admitted it like you don't feel safe mm-hmm. so that problem solving for one thing is not best done while lying in bed at 10 or 11 o'clock <laughs> at night if it's something that's continually happening overnight in the daytime shift into problem solving mode okay if this were to happen, here's what we do. And this is not an emotional thing. This is a very, um, very tactical, practical, non-emotional, logical practice of problem solving. Because if it's fear-based, then it's worrying. And it is just a broken record that's just going to keep spinning and spinning and spinning and not actually get anywhere. Problem solving has a solution. So if you have that you when you're laying in bed you can remind when that fear comes up because that's a habit that's a pattern so it just might take some time to break it um when that fear comes up you can just remind yourself i solved this problem i have a plan and again this is like this is basically like practicing meditation that's what meditation is for it's practice for game day when you're laying in bed and you're stressed about you know murderers and monsters coming in your house that's game day so by practicing 
letting go and coming back, coming back to your breath, coming back to your bed, coming back to the present moment, that's a skill set to continue to practice. And I don't remember if we talked about this when we spoke a couple of weeks ago, um, but those in, those those awful thoughts that pop into our head as soon as we have kids and we just yeah. imagine terrible things happening to them because it happens to every single one of us. Um, reminding yourself that this is just my brain's way of saying, be careful. That's it. It's just our brains are so freaking overdramatic. They're little drama queens. <laughs> and if you can, in that moment, say, okay, brain, thank you. I know that I need to have a plan. Or I know that, you know, I you know, need to make sure to lock the doors, right? Thank you. I've got it. I can take it from here. I think you're being overdramatic. And our and brains I don't just naturally it. do that. Our brains just like naturally jump to like the worst conclusions. <laughs> I've, I've literally said to myself, to my own brain, thank you, but you are being overdramatic and I don't appreciate it. Oh, like, okay. You can, you can talk back to your brain that way. Which I will. I will do that. I literally will do that now because I need something. I need something, you know, and it's not that it happens every night. Thank God. But when it does, it's like so hard for me to get out of it. And ironically, my, well, not ironic, but my ex-husband, soon to be ex-husband or whatever, he was traveling a lot. Like when we Mm -hmm. first had kids and I was alone a lot and I've never got, you know, knock on wood, I've never had to deal with a home invasion in my life, but like like we were saying, our brains are very dramatic and like, that's where it was going. So I took, and I don't have a gun and I don't like guns really. And, um, I'm a avid door locker and I took a, I was still scared though. So I took a knife, like a kitchen knife and I kind of put it under my mattress. So like the handle was kind of sticking out in not like a super obvious way, but in a way to where like, I could get it if I woke up in the middle of the night and I was groggy. Right. Mm-hmm. And I kind of forgot it was under there because he like he went on a trip. He was in the military, went on a trip. And then like I kind of just like felt safe again because he was back and kind of forgot about it. Then cut to, okay, my daughter, who was two at the time. Okay. (laughs) Mommy, what's this? I'm in the bathroom putting on my makeup. She's standing holding the giant knife in her hand. I'm like walking towards her slowly like Wilder, put it down put it down, you know, like, oh my gosh. And she gets this gleeful two-year-old look on her face and starts running through the house (laughs) with this giant ass knife. I mean, you can't, obviously you imagine what's going on in my head. And I'm just like, yeah, (laughs) dear God, like, please. And I finally, you know, managed to get the knife away from her. Nobody's hurt, not a nick, not a scratch, nothing. But do you think I ever put a damn knife under my bed again? (laughs) No, (laughs) did not. So now I just lay there in spiral with no knife and no, no gun. Like, how am I going to figure this out? But yeah, I'll just tell my brain, stop. You're being dramatic. It's okay. Mm-hmm. So much. Yeah. So much. So I think, like, it's so common. And and so, like, it, there's so many people listening that I'm, I'm sure are like, oh, my God, I feel that way too. And, and, like, what I would say for something like that is is twofold it's it's both right if this is something that's recurring then 
genuinely come up with a plan like that you're supposed to have an escape plan for fire emergencies anyway mm-hmm. like something to do during the day and if you know the knife and the gun isn't an option well you know is it a baseball bat is it mace in the in the in your side drawer like something that would make you feel comfortable so that it, when you are in bed at night and those stories start coming up you can do the other work which is reminding yourself it's okay we've already figured this out it's fine. Plus, if I'm in fight or flight mode, I'm probably not going to be thinking very clearly, like, um, you know, being able to talk yourself down. So it's sure legitimate concern. Kind of like if you can yeah. convince yourself into thinking anything is, you know, could potentially happen. But, you know, if you think like, you got to have a fire drill in your house anyway. Yeah. That's I also, problem solving. I also like the, just, and you'll like, I'm telling, I've already admitted I'm an anxious person, but then, so I'll have those thoughts. And then I'm like, I don't want that to be my reality. So I don't want to attract that reality. So I don't want to think about that. Then I'm fighting having those thoughts because I'm like, I don't want to plan for this because what if I'm attracting this? Like it's a spiral. It's a spiral. Like, and, and I, I like get caught in this spiral of like, okay. And that usually is actually what kind of gets me out of the spiral is like, I don't want to attract this. I don't want this to be a part of my reality. Like dwelling on this is going to make it more something that could possibly happen to me. Like that's kind of how I turn myself off usually and kind of release yeah. it. But I don't want to have to get to that point. Um, so I'm just going to sign up for some karate, some martial arts, <laughs> self-defense classes. We'll be good to go. We'll be good to go. That, that'll yeah. be my plan. <laughs> and then maybe you'll find something else too obsessively worrying about <laughs> as opposed so to brutal, brutal, right? the There's brutal murder of my my children yeah I I would rather obsess over anything else than that like anything <laughs> so this is like coming up with practical solutions right with the problem solving but there's also the skill set of learning how to recognize that your brain is just being over dramatic because it's stuck in fight or flight mode in the moment and and, and, and learning how to let that go and just come back and be present. But also learning how to allow yourself to feel that discomfort without having to, like you're trying to, in that moment, reach for reach for certainty. Like, okay, and I'll do this and then I could do that and I'll just jump down this way. And if they do this, then like you're trying to reach for certainty in that moment. It'd be an interesting exercise to see what would happen if I just, if you just let yourself feel uncomfortable without having to mentally solve the problem of like, okay, maybe there's just some unprocessed fear in there that you haven't allowed it to run its course. Sometimes just laying there almost like, um, if you've ever done like a cold plunge or taken a cold shower, like, Mm -hmm. like imagine stepping into a cold shower. Like you're, you naturally want to like tense up and run away from it. Yes. But in order to stay in the water, you have to breathe and actually relax your muscles because it doesn't feel as cold if you embrace the cold. If you fight the cold, it feels more cold. So even just imagine that sensation of taking deep breath in, letting it out and just relaxing your body. And allowing yourself to, like, if you're in the water, to be cold. But if you're just in bed and you're feeling that fear, just look at the fear in your body. Not the not the story that your brain is serving up, 
not all of the ways that you could solve the problem, but where is this energy in your body? Is it coming up your chest? Is it in your stomach? Is it in your shoulders? What does it feel like? If it was a, if it was a wave, would it be, you know, a sharp pointy wave or would it be a big dull wave? Like just allowing yourself to witness it, to feel it. And maybe it'll start to melt away. No, you're, because I'm doing it as you're saying this. And I totally connect with how just identifying where it's at would help you regulate. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's like calling your attention to something totally, you know, that you weren't paying attention to before. So, yeah. hey, you're pretty and good it, at this. <laughs> well, notice like when you're doing that, you're in fight or flight mode. Yeah. You want to, like there's, so there's different layers to this. Like I said, like, sure, there's a problem solving layer. And then there's this right here that we just talked about, which is like allowing yourself to feel it without that resistance to process it. But then there's also work to tell your body, you know what, I'm safe. We're safe right now. It's okay. And you could do that with like, there's lots of different ways to do it, but like an easy way to do it is like one hand on your heart, one hand, like in that sensitive area in your upper stomach, your solar plexus that you Mm -hmm. mentioned, like one hand there, one hand on your heart and just breathing into that. And I'll even like, if it's a really strong sensation of like fear, anxiety, or stress, I'll even bring something audible into it, which is, you know, like some people will use, um, the vibration of a mantra when when meditating, like an ohm, mm-hmm. for example. Um, but here, do this with me. Okay. The sound that you make when you are eating something very delicious or feeling something that feels so good, like what noise would that make? Hmm... Exactly. It's like a, mm. mm-hmm. that's a, and so that sensation, especially if you do it um, vocally, your, um, your vagus nerve, which is, you know, what's going to send information from your body back up to your brain. That's one way that you can physically tell your brain, okay, we're safe. We're good. Like we can calm down now the hands on the body, for example, and just that, Hmm. The, the vagus nerve goes up behind the vocal cords. So that's another way of physically stimulating that, um, sending that, that sensation up to your brain to say where, you know, we, we can, we can switch off into rest and digest mode now. Yes. Yeah. Um, but combining those things together can help you shift out of that fight or flight mode. Yeah. I could see, I could like literally see myself one hand on my heart, one hand on my like top of my stomach and making that noise and like repeatedly doing it and working. I think I'm going to have to go back through this episode <laughs> and I'm going to like write the cues and I'm going to put it on my bed because ever all three steps that you just previously went over, I'm like, I know that it would work for me if I just like took the time to do it. You know, it's like putting into practice is the challenge once you have the knowledge. Right. And so think about ways that'll make it easier for you to remember. Is it on a post-it next to your bed? Yes. Is it something that you're going to put a timer on your phone and, and practice with intention, right? So you're just creating a habit. Yeah, I love it. I mean, even, and I think that's why I kind of, I've took, taken a break from meditation because it, I kind of felt like instead of just like being present or connecting to source during meditation, I was kind of using it to like 
manifest or picture a desired outcome is really what I was using my meditation for. And then it became like something, another to do. And that really wasn't the point of the meditation. So I've taken like a step back from meditation, but in doing so, I haven't been doing like any kind of breathing or connecting to myself or anything like that. You know, instead I kind of just like turn off instead of taking time to really put these things into practice, which I would like to get back to. So this, the talking with you is kind of like giving me a little pep in my step. Like I really want to try <laughs> to, to, to do this again. Um, the name of the podcast is what not to do. So I always ask my guests to, if you could leave our lovely listeners with a what not to do um, when it comes to stress and anxiety or living their life, whatever, whatever you feel called to, you can even give several if you like. <laughs> what not to do um don't don't look externally for the source of your stress or the solution to your stress i think we do that too often which is to put the blame externally for all of the all these kids and these people and all of these circumstances are the reason why i'm stressed because then you lose all control you don't have control over other people. As much as we like to think we have control over our kids, we do not have control over our kids. Yeah. We can't control those things. And if you think that the solution to your stress is everybody else changing, everybody else cutting out their shit, the world changing around you, no. That's also nothing you have control over and you lose your power with that mentality. Yeah. And it's like one of the hardest lessons to learn as an adult <laughs> is like, just be, you can't control anybody else. You can only control how you're reacting and how you're, you know, you're processing that information. It's so much, but I just, thank you so much. I feel like you're one of the people that is really contributing good things to this world, not to like blow smoke up your ass or anything, but I feel like every time you post, I'm like really getting something out of your reels. And I just feel like if people just took the time and actually applied what you were saying, they could like just make themselves better, you know, maybe feel a little bit better at the end of the day. So thank you for, for giving the way that you give on socials and with your clients and for giving this time to us today. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. Um, okay, well, I'm going to put the way to find you in the show notes. Is there anything else that you'd like to leave listeners with or tell them how to find you or promote a workshop that you're doing or anything? I'm sure I don't have any workshops coming up. I should be releasing um, information about a retreat. I do a, re a retreat every year in Maine. Um, uh, so that should be coming out soon. You can find me at stressandanxietycoach.com or on all of the socials. I'm uh, the handle of happy was. Yeah. You're amazing. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Sandy. Oh, thank you, Tristan. Okay, bye. Bye. You're unbelievable. This has been the What Not To Do podcast. To keep up with the latest podcast news, follow along on our Instagram page at What Not To Do PC. Be a doll, would you? Don't forget to like, follow, and share this podcast. You're unbelievable.